Somebody give him the glory. Give him the glory that's due his name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. I shouldn't even be here this morning, huh? but to God be the glory. I should have been six feet under, huh? but to God be the glory. Should have been locked up, huh? but to God be the glory. Somebody ought to lift your hands one more time and shout in this place. neighbor don't mess with my praise don't try to slow me down don't try to hinder me don't try to stop me you're not the one that saved me you're not the one that rescued me you're not the one that cleaned me up you're not the one that broke the chains I didn't come here to dance for you I didn't come here to impress you I didn't come here for you, but I came to give my God the... So excuse me for a moment while I shout. Pardon me for a moment while I dance. Pardon me for a moment while I lift my voice. and run the aisle today. Hey! Anybody excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. High five somebody on the way to your seat. Tell them ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party. 
Ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party. Why? Because the Holy Ghost party just don't stop. Amen. What an awesome, awesome move of God is already in this place today. Amen. I want to take just a brief moment this morning. You can be seated to give a great big welcome to all of our guests that are here in the house of the Lord. Rock Church, I need you to help me one more time. Put those hands together and make some Holy Ghost crazy noise. Come on, we can do a little bit better than that. One more time, help me welcome all of our guests into the house of the Lord this morning. We, we are so honored to have you in the house of the Lord today. And I know what a privilege during meet and greet, I got a chance to uh, shake hands and, and, and meet many of you this morning that are here for the first time. And we want you to know what a privilege it is on our behalf to have you here at the Rock Church this morning. And uh, if you are here for the very first time, you should have received a VIP invitation card. And this is an invitation for you to join us immediately after the service in our VIP room. Everybody knows VIP stands for very important person. And we want you to join us there after the service. We've got a small gift and some light refreshments. We'd love it. just one more opportunity to tell you how much we appreciate you being here. And we want you to know that we have a little understanding here at this church that you're only a guest for the first five minutes that you come through the door. After that, your status has changed and you're just at home here at the Rock Church. Amen, Rock. Would you turn around 360 degrees, shake every hand you can reach, tell them welcome home this morning. Come on, tell them welcome home this morning. You're at home here today. Amen. 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 I, I want to say what, what a privilege it is uh, to have Brother Stephen Gill with us this morning, all the way from Calgary, Canada. Would you help me give him a great big hand clap of welcome? Amen. So good to have him in the house of the Lord today. And, and uh, then I am so excited. Uh, not just one, but I have two of my nieces, beautiful nieces that are here in the house of the Lord with us today. Would you help me welcome Sister Marissa Bowles all the way from North Dakota here visiting us this week. Would you help me welcome her back? Love this precious young lady and uh, known her since before she was born. So excited she's here to spend a little bit of time with us. And then my beautiful niece, Sister Key. We call her Kia. We got a bunch of Kianas here. so But we're so excited to have my beautiful niece, Kiana, in the house of the Lord with us today. And listen, how exciting is this? She just relocated to Fort Myers this past week. So she's really at home today. Would you help me give her a great big welcome home this morning in the house and of course my little buddy Luca who is probably in Sunday school already but we're excited that he's here love them so much and uh, grateful for what God is doing in their lives amen somebody shout next Sunday well before we get to next Sunday how about somebody just shouts tonight Tonight, we will be here at 6.30 for Sunday Night Live. 
And I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it. We're going to have a great time in the Holy Ghost tonight. But next Sunday is Supernatural Sunday. Amen. And uh, I want us to be praying. This is a, a powerful, powerful service. Uh, we, we are really, really anticipating 100% attendance. And we want what happens in this house next week to absolutely include every person who is a part of this church as we synchronize ourselves with the vision that God has for this house and this city. And there is an exponential power that happens when God's people get the revelation that one plus one does not equal two in the kingdom of God. He said, one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. Can you imagine what happens when the entire church understands the, the dynamic of what happens when we come together under God's purpose? And I want us to be praying this week, allowing, asking God to, to speak to us about how he can use us in a powerful way. We can speak a little bit more about that on Tuesday night, but it is going to be an exciting time uh, in this house. Amen, somebody. Stand with me, if you would, as we <clears throat> prepare to go to the Word of the Lord. The book of John is where I'm going to invite you to read God's Word with me today. John chapter 20, you will find my assignment for today. And last Sunday morning, I preached a delivered a word from God titled The Remedy for Bitter Water. And since last Sunday morning, God began to deal with me specifically about this text that I want to preach from today. And uh, I... I've done my best all week long trying to make sure, God, is there something else? Is there that you would have me to preach? And the more I would try to explore and expand, God would not let me get away from this text. And so it is beyond a shadow of a doubt in my mind that there are some people in this house today, God knew you would be here. God knew exactly what you needed to hear. And if you will open your heart and your spirit to the word of God, God's got a word to speak to you in this house. Does anybody believe that today? John chapter 20, verse 24 says, But Thomas, one of the twelve. This is an important piece of information Thomas one of the twelve called Didymus was not with them when Jesus came the other disciples therefore said unto him we have seen the Lord but he said unto them except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side I 
will not believe. Thomas, who was one of the twelve, had spent a considerable amount of time with Jesus. He was familiar with his traits and characteristics and mannerisms and the sound of his voice, his body language. And yet Thomas said, even though I am well acquainted with him, the only way that I will positively identify that it is him is by his scars. And for a few moments this morning, I simply want to preach living past your scars. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place today. Come on, would you set your Bibles down and lift your voice right now in the sanctuary? Oh, God, we stand before you in this place. We need you in this house, oh, God. We sense and we understand that you are ever-present with us in this house right now. God, I pray that our hearts would be open, that our minds would be open. God, that you would free us from distraction today and let the unadulterated power of your word settle into our mind and our heart and into our spirits in this house. Do what only you can do in this sanctuary. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. We give you all of the honor in the matchless name that is above every other name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody one more time, give him a praise in this house. Hallelujah. You may be seated this morning. Every person in this building today understands that it is only a little while in living life before you end up with some scars on your body. It doesn't take long from the birth of mama's womb before somebody begins to experience injury and pain and the scars that are left as a result of what we've been through. I can tell you stories this morning. If you were to get up close and look, right here on the side of my head is a, is a little scar. I, I can feel it right now. My finger is on that scar. And every time... I look in the mirror and I'm, I'm brushing my hair. Thank God I still got some. And I see that little scar on top of my head. I remember what happened, Brother Derek. You see, I, I was five or six years old. And when I was a kid, they used to kick you out of the house. See, y'all don't know nothing about that. My mama would kick us out of the house and say, don't come back in until it gets dark. You didn't sit inside playing video games and messing around with your phone. You went outside. And outside was, was your game system. 
and, and I was five or six years old, and, and me and my little sister, Tabitha, and, and my cousin, Fabian, who, who is like my brother, we, we are all close to the same age, and we were outside, and, and one of our favorite pastimes at that age was looking for roly-polies. Anybody know about them roly-polies? I don't know what they're really called, but we called them roly-polies. And if you know anything about roly-polies, the best place to find them is underneath things. They love damp, dark, covered spaces. And so we're collecting roly-polies, and all of a sudden we came across this 50-gallon metal drum. Old, rusted, beat-up metal drum that was partially buried in the dirt. And I came up with the bright idea and said, I think there's probably a lot of roly-polies underneath that barrel. And then I came up with my second brilliant thought, and I told my sister and my cousin, why don't you pick up the barrel as high as you can, and I'll stick my head under there to find the roly-polies. So with all their strength and their might, they picked up one end of the barrel as far as they could pull it off of the dirt and I stuck my head under there to look for the roly-polies and for some reason they thought it would be a funny idea to let the barrel go on top of my head and so when they let the barrel go a chunk of busted rusty metal dug into my head and cut my head open. And so every time I see that scar, I remember the story. My mind takes me back. I, I can see the field. I can see my sister. I can see my, my cut. It all comes flooding back to my memory. And so, see, some of y'all, when I shake your hand after church, you're going to be going like this now. And, and if you get close enough to me, I, I have another scar right right underneath my chin right here. A little, little scar under my chin. And when I was maybe 11, 10 or 11 years old, we, I used to run around with all the kids in the neighborhood riding bikes. And we used to have what they called skid contests. Anybody beside me ever have skidding contests? See, what the object of the game was is you would back up down the street or on the sidewalk and you would go as fast as you dare to go and at the last moment, you would slam on the brakes and you would leave a skid mark across the ground and see who could skid the farthest skid on their bike. Now, there was a problem. Y'all remember, I grew up Poe. And Poe is different than poor. <laughs> when you Poe, you can't afford the other O and R. <laughs> I tell people we were so Poe, we go to KFC and lick somebody else's fingers. We was Poe. And the problem was that all the other kids in my neighborhood had cool bikes. They had, you know, they had their Haro and their their BMX and their mongoose, you know, but, but, but I was Poe. And I was riding around 
the little hand-me-down from my older cousin who was a girl and had a little My Little Pony bike with a banana seat. Y'all don't know nothing about them banana seats. Anybody remember them? It's hard to be gangster riding My Little Pony bikes with a banana seat. But I dared one of them to say something about My Little Pony. I'll punch them right in the teeth. And so when we had the skidding contest, I was at a disadvantage. And so when it was my turn, I, I didn't want to ride the My Little Pony bike, so I borrowed my friend's bike. And I jumped on that bike, and I started cruising up the road to get my starting point. And I went farther than any of them went, and they all started, oh, oh, and I kept on going. And I got back so far that when I turned around, I said, ain't nobody going to beat this for a long time. And I started pedaling that bike. I mean, I was, I was leaning into it with everything I had. I was pedaling as fast as I could. And when I finally got to that spot to hit the brakes, I pushed backward on the pedal. And guess what happened? My pedal went. I had growing up on pole bikes and the way you stopped our bike is you pressed backward on the pedal but all these new bikes didn't have brakes on the pedal you had to push the hand brakes and I didn't realize that till the last second and this is all happening in split moment timing I'm going as fast as I can I go to get the brake no brake I, I remember the hand brakes but the problem is there's two of them. One on the left, one on the right. And I don't know which one to press. So I do what any smart person would do. I grab both of them. And I was going to leave a mark. So I'm, when I grabbed them, I... And I, I started singing this before R. Kelly did. I believe I can fly. <laughs> that bike flipped over and I went sailing through the air and when I landed I landed right on my chin wham knocked me out cold split my chin open blood everywhere all my friends were so scared they went and drug me to the front porch hit the doorbell and took off running my mom opened the door I'm laying there with blood running out of my chin. Any sensible mom would have assessed it and took their kid to get stitches. But I grew up in an old Latino home. Come on, where are my Latinos at in the building? I know my last name is Williams, but my mom's last name is Garcia. La primera lengua de mi mamá es español. Pero she didn't teach me anything. <laughs> but in that old Latino home, they didn't take you to no hospitals. You know what she did? She ran me over to the kitchen and started dumping sugar on my chin. What's up with that? I guess they just grabbed the closest baking ingredients they could to try to, all them old home remedies. She, get, she, she started putting sugar trying to stop the bleeding. And then when she got done with that, she grabbed the butter. Oh, put some, put some butter on it, Hito. Put some butter. 
And so, and so every time I see that scar, I remember all the events associated with that scar. My, the emotions come back and the way that I felt and I, I could still see the bike and, and, and the house that we lived in and all of those things the, when, when, I, when I see the scar. And then if you get close enough on my left hand, you, you, you can barely see it now, but, but there's a scar across my wrist right there. And, 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 and one, one time for my birthday, I think I was maybe about 10 years old. If you notice, all this has happened between 10 and 12 so if you got kids that are 10 and 12, get good life insurance on them. They're dangerous. And, and one of my uncles bought me a folding knife, a pocket knife for my birthday. And with the pocket knife, he bought me a sharpening kit. And so after my birthday party, I was, my, my bedroom was down in the basement of the house. So I was down in the basement messing with all of my birthday gifts. And I had that pocket knife out. And I had the sharpening stone. And I didn't, nobody taught me how to use it. And I was trying to figure it out. And I thought somewhere I saw them put oil on the stone. And so I had put a bunch of oil on the stone. And I was trying to, to figure out how, what angle to put that blade to, to sharpen it. And, and when, I, when I pushed, the blade slid fast across that oil. And it literally stuck right into my wrist. I lifted my wrist and the knife was just. Now, instinctually, I just grabbed the knife, and, oh, pulled it out, and when I did, the blood just. Now, you got to remember, I was not raised in church. And I grew up watching horror movies. And all I knew about people cutting their wrist is that they died. So the moment that blood squirted out, I said, ah! my feet levitated off the ground. I don't think I touched one step going up the stairs. I burst into the living room with blood pouring everywhere and all I could say was mama don't let me die don't, don't let me die mom mom guess where she was she went and grabbed the sugar <laughs> but after about a half a bag of sugar poured and that thing was still going she said he thought I'm gonna take you to the doctor <laughs> and and they put stitches on that thing and, and I could tell you story after story about the scars. I, I could tell you about the scars on my abdomen from when I had to have my gallbladder removed. And, and, and all of us today, uh, if we think about it, there there's scars uh, that, that we could tell stories about. But can I tell you this morning that even though uh, the scars are part of my story, they don't define my entire story. Even though I've I've been wounded and I've been hurt uh, and I've experienced what pain is like. Uh, the scars are a part of my story, uh, but they do not define uh, who I am. Uh, I don't introduce myself to people uh, and say, hello, uh, my name is Randy Williams, the guy with scars on my wrist, uh, scar 
hairs in my head. I'm all messed up. I got scared. That's not how I introduce myself because they're part of my story, but my scars are not my identity. I am not who my scars want to tell me I am. I am not what the pain in my life wants to tell me that I am. Woo! But what about the scars that can't be seen with the natural eye today? Because those scars have stories too. Scars from divorce. Scars that come from abuse. Scars that come from a life of failure. Scars that come from the experience of betrayal. Scars that were inflicted because of the experience of living lies. Scars that are the result of heartache and experiences that were bitter in my life. Can I just preach this morning that everybody in this building has some scars and some wounds that can't be seen with the naked eye. Every one of us are living with some things that are a constant reminder of what we've been through and it is the objective of the enemy to identify you by those scars. Thomas said that I will not believe unless I identify him by those scars. The enemy would love nothing more than for you to live your life identified by what you've been through, constricted and constrained by your experiences and your past. If the enemy could, he would do his best to make your scars declare, this is who you are. This is your identity. Abused, neglected, abandoned, mistreated. But I've got news for the enemy this morning. I'm going to live past my scars. I am not what I've been through. I refuse to be identified by my pain. I refuse to live in bondage to the scars that are on my life. There is a bondage that can be caused by wounds in our life. Luke chapter 14, verse number 18, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He hath sent me to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. And listen, he sent me to set at liberty them that are bruised. What is a bruise? A bruise is a mark that is an indicator of past 
pain. A bruise is a mark that indicates a past injury. And Jesus said, I have come to set at liberty them that are, he didn't say I come to heal those that are bruised. He said, I've come to set at liberty. Why? Because past bruising causes current bondage. Come on, pains of the past have a tendency to create bondage in our present. What happened to us back then, the wound that went on years ago, months ago, if we're not careful, has a tendency to create a prison that we become trapped in. And Jesus said, I have come to set at liberty them that I'm preaching to some people in the building that know what it's like to live in a prison caused by the bruises in your life. You're trying to be normal, but every time you get so far, you run into a wall that reminds you what you've been through before. And you try to go this direction, and it's not long. Right when you think you're making progress, another stark reminder of what pain you've suffered and the injuries that came upon you. And if you're not careful, you become in bondage to what happened in your past. I was abandoned, and therefore I am. I was abused, and therefore I am. I was neglected, and therefore I am. I was mistreated, and therefore I am. But God sent me into this house this morning to preach to somebody that today you're coming out of that bondage. Today you're coming out of that prison. Today God's going to set you free from that prison. Who am I preaching to in the building? You've lived in that prison long enough. You've lived in the four walls of your past long enough. Jesus said I am come to set at liberty them that I wish I had somebody in the building that would just stand to your feet and declare I'm coming out of this I'm coming out of the pain I'm coming out of the dysfunction I'm coming out of my past I'm coming out of what happened to come on somebody somebody ought to go ahead and shout in this place I'm coming out preaching to people that have become captive to some hurts that you've experienced, some offenses that you've never been able to get past, and now you struggle with moving forward in life because the wounds of your past have a grip on you that prevents you from being everything that God wants you to be. I'm ministering to somebody in this place that knows what it's like to get so far 
and hit point of failure again and again and again because there is a voice telling you you'll never be more than what you've been through you'll never be able to outgrow you'll never be able to outrun you'll never be able to get past the thing that has happened to you and you've lived your life year after year in the bondage of your something that happens to people that are wounded it mirrors the physical when somebody is wounded oftentimes if the wound is great enough it affects how they walk it affects how they move how they ambulate and then what happens is that even when the wound is healed, the body has grown accustomed to its adaptation to the pain. The body has grown comfortable with the way it has adapted to the trauma it experienced. To where even when the trauma no longer exists, the body still wants to live as if it's in trauma. And so people limp when the wound has already been healed. And they have to go through physical therapy. Why? Because you have to force your body to reprogram itself. You have to use adversity and resistance to tell your body you will get strong again. You will walk. I'm preaching to somebody in the building. You will use your arm again. You will function properly again. Can I preach to some people that you're living with some things that aren't even a part of your life anymore. They happened in your past. God's already healed it. God's already dealt with it. God's already brought you out of it. God's already brought you past it. And yet you're still living life and letting it affect the way you live today. But there's a God in the building this morning that's reaching into this house and somebody needs to go ahead and say, I will walk again. I will be what God said despite the pain, despite the struggle, despite the fear, despite the abuse, despite the betrayal, despite what happened to me. I will be what God, I'm preaching to somebody in the building. You need to stretch forth your hand in this house. I'm going to stop here and preach for a moment. I feel the Holy Ghost. The Bible speaks of one man that God came across whom the Bible said had a withered hand. People, if you'll ever notice that have one hand that's maimed or withered will often hide that hand. They'll keep it in the pocket. They'll keep it put away. Why? Because they, everybody wants to put your best foot forward. 
Nobody wants to expose their weakness to anybody. I don't want you to see my bad side. I don't want you. I want you to see the, the, the Bishop Williams. I don't want you to see the kid from the hood that's toe up from the flow up. I don't want you to see all the cracks and crevices and, and break. So we present our best foot forward. But we serve a God who's not impressed by how you come to church masking all the stuff that you've been through. He goes straight to the heart of the matter. And when he came across the man with the withered hand, the first thing he told him was, stretch forth your hand. You better take what's withered and put it out in the open. I'm preaching to somebody. If I'm going to heal you, you've got to quit hiding the pain. If I'm going to heal you, you've got to stop concealing what's wrong with you. If I'm going to make you whole, you've got to quit worrying about what everybody else thinks and give me your brokenness so that I can set you I'm preaching to somebody in the building. God's tired of you coming to church and sitting on a pew like everything's all right when what he really wants you to do is get out of your seat and throw yourself on an altar and say, God, here I am. I'm broken. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. There's a God in the building who's ready to heal you. He's ready to make you whole. He's ready to restore you. Stretch forth. Man. You see, the power of the scar is not in the wound itself. Because the wound is a thing of the past. It's closed up, but the scar is a landmark. It's, it's a reminder of what happened to you. The word remind means to put it back into your mind. When you have a thought and you tell somebody, remind me, Later, what you're telling them is there's a good chance that thought won't be here. Later, I need you to put that thought back into my mind. And scars, the power of the scar is not in the wound. The power of the scar is in its ability to remind you of what happened to you. Uh, I'm preaching to somebody in the building. Ten years ago it took place, but that scar gets you to bring the emotions back all over again. Come on, the struggle took place when you were a kid, and God brought you out of all of that. But the scar keeps putting the thoughts back into your mind. And when the thoughts get back in your mind, the emotions start all over again. 
and the feelings. It's the power of a scar in your life. It's a landmark to tell you, don't you ever forget what happened to you. Don't you ever forget the pain. Don't you ever forget the struggle. Don't you ever forget what happened in your life. And our human spirit doesn't like to forget pain. Hear me, somebody. Because it is a survival mechanism. You take a little kid and you tell them, don't touch the stove. They don't know what the stove is. Don't touch it. They keep wanting to touch the stove. You want to know what the best lesson is? Let them touch it. Oh, Lord, somebody better delete that off the of live stream so I don't get DCF called on me. What happens when they touch it? They get burned. Pain. They associate pain with the action. And the mind has an incredible ability, Brother Keith, to hold on to pain. Because when that happens... Not only does the child burn their finger, but they burn their conscience. Come on, hear me, somebody. When the trauma happens, it's not just physical, but it burns something into their thinking. And the body remembers the pain. And in order to avoid danger, the, the, the mind remembers the pain. And so the remembering the pain causes the aversion of anything that could... You know what? Sometimes the trauma can be so great that people develop phobias in their life where they become excessively afraid of certain things because of something they've experienced. And pretty soon they can't even live life normal because of the fear of pain in their life. And they create an aversion to situations and scenarios that become unhealthy. They let risk aversion override everything else in their life. And before you know it, their only goal is to not get hurt again. I'm not going to have friends because I don't want to get hurt again. I'm not going to have relationships because I don't want to get lied to again. I'm preaching to somebody in the building. I don't want to be a part of a church anymore because I don't want to get offended again. I don't want, come on, what is it? It's your memory. It's the scar. It's the power. But can I preach to you that one writer said it like this, forgetting those things which are behind me, I reach forth and I press toward the mark. Can I preach to us for a moment that your ability to reach forward often is associated with your ability to forget what's behind you. I can't get no help in this house. 
your ability sometimes to press forward lies in your ability to forget those things that are behind you. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody that forgetting is a God trait. It's a God characteristic. God said as far as the east is from the west, I'm going to remove your transgression. I'm going to cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. Oh, somebody in the building, you need God to bless you with the ability to forget this morning. You got to learn how to put the past behind you. I feel like preaching real good this morning. Stay there, Brother Keith. Stay there, Brother Eddie. Stay there. Stay there. I got stuff in my past. Struggles. Come on. Fighting. Turmoil. Pain. and Hurt going on. And now God healed it. And it settled. And God's calling me to go forward. And I say, okay. I'm moving. I'm moving, but there's only so far I can go as long as I'm holding on to the past. You see, there comes a point where the past is no longer holding you, but you're holding on to the past. I can't get no help in the building. There comes a point where God neutralized your yesterday, but you're still holding on to what's behind you. I'm preaching to somebody in this house and you're living a life of frustration because you can't move forward. Why can't I move forward? Why can't I progress? Why can't I get where I'm trying to go? Well, I'll tell you why. Because you're still holding on to your past. You're still holding on to what other people did to you in your history. You're still holding on to yesterday's pain and as long as you hold on to yesterday you'll never walk into your tomorrow you'll never experience because the power of the scar has dominion over you but if you're going to be what God wants you to be somewhere you've got to forget those things that are behind you and you've got to reach forward and press. Who am I preaching to in this building today? God said it's time to move forward. It's time to quit living stuck. It's time to get out of your pit. It's time to get out of that trap that you've been living in. It's time to live past your scars. Every time you try to do something for God, every time you want to get involved, the memory of some offense in your life puts up a wall and you come to the house of God hindered from the totality of what God really wants to do in your life. If we're all honest, in this building today, there is not one of us 
that have not been wounded or been the one to wound somebody else. I knew I wouldn't get too many amens right there, but I'll wait. If you're honest, you will understand that not only have you been wounded, but there have been times in your life when you were the one that caused the pain. I just need 15 honest people in the building. I just need 30 humble people that would go ahead and say amen to the word of the Lord in this house. God, it's been me before standing in the need of prayer. God, it's been me before that was guilty. God, it's been me before that was careless. It's been me before that made the mistake. In moments of weakness or carnality, we have said and done things that have hurt somebody. And the most painful wounds are the ones that come from the people we care about the most. I'm preaching in this house today. <laughs> you see, I, I can handle it when somebody tries to wound me that I'm not really connected to. If I'm driving down the road and somebody wants to tell me how much they appreciate my driving skills by giving me the single finger salute, I'm probably not going to get depressed for three days and discouraged because of what they think about me. I'm probably not going to lose any sleep wondering what I did to offend them or, or, or what I could do to change. It's probably not. But, but when people that I love the most, when people that I'm connected to, uh, that, that, that I have something invested with, uh, that, that I broke bread with and, and I've shared my, my time, when, when, when it's those people, uh, that's the kind of wound uh, that, that really hurts. Uh, it's just like the prophecy of Jesus uh, that we read read in Zechariah 13 and 6 uh, the Bible says uh, one shall say unto him Jesus uh, what are these wounds in thine hands one transliteration says uh, what are these wounds in your hands and where did you get them then he shall answer he's not going to say they came from my haters the wounds came from my enemies he's not going to say the scars came from the people that opposed me he said but they are those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends I got these scars because the people I love the most the people I cared about the most this is what I need to preach real in this place today can I preach real in this house uh, that some of our greatest wounds uh, come from the people uh, that we care about uh, and we love the most uh, but there was no one who understood offense uh, like Jesus uh, understood uh, offense uh, there was nobody uh, that understood betrayal uh, like Jesus understood betrayal uh, 
there was nobody that knew what it was like to be done wrong like Jesus did. To sit with the 12 men that are closest to him at the dinner table and have to look at one of them and say, friend, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. He looked at Judas knowing full well that Judas had been talking behind his back. Knowing full well that Judas had been marginalizing his authority behind his back. Knowing full well that Judas was sitting on a pew and eating him for lunch around dinner tables. Knowing for full fact that Judas was trying to find anybody else that would make a deal with him to talk against Jesus. And yet Jesus looked at him and said, friend, whatever you do, do you? Do it quickly. You know what he was saying? Judas, I know what you're doing. And frankly, I can't take it any longer. If you're going to betray me, then just get it over with. Let's stop the games. I love you, Judas. And this hurts more than you can imagine. There's a bond that happens between people that break bread together. Jesus turns, looks at all 12 of them in Matthew 26 and 31, and he says, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. If Jesus could say that about himself, some of us could take a lesson of humility and learn how to say it about ourselves sometimes. Can't get no help in this house. For it is written, and he quotes Zechariah 13, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Listen, Peter answered and said unto him, Peter wasn't having it. He stood up, just like he did earlier, and said, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Peter was that saint that looked at his pastor and said, Pastor, I don't care what anybody else does. You'll never have to worry about me. I don't know what's going on with all these other 11. He kind of turned his back on the other disciples. I don't know what you think about their character that you think they're going to turn their back on you. But I just want you to know, Jesus, not this old boy. It don't matter what happens. I will never leave you. You ever had people that walked in that kind of commitment to you, expressed their devotion and faith to you at a level like that before? And yet, here's what happens. Jesus looks at him and says, you know what, Peter? Here's what I say to you. That tonight, before the cock crows, you're not just going to deny me once, Peter. 
but you're going to do it three times. Peter, you're standing up saying how how superior you are to everybody else and how you'll never deny me. But I'm telling you, Peter, that before 24 hours hits, you're not just going to deny me once. You're going to do it three different times. This is the conversation Jesus is having to have with them. Peter says to him, though I should die with thee, Yet will I not deny. Peter doubles down. God, if I've got to give my life for you, I'll never turn my back on you. I'll never deny you. And then all the other disciples jumped in. Yeah, me too, me too. You know what? We rarely have intentions of offending each other. We rarely have ambitions of trying to hurt somebody else. But the fact is that we are all flesh. Come on. I need an amen in the building. The fact is that we are all frail humanity. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that he remembereth our frame, that we are just dust. At our best intentions, there are times that we fail. Even with our best foot forward, there are times that we come up short. I just need a few people that will, will, will agree this morning. Even at my best commitment, there are times that I fall short because I'm a human being. Matter of fact, James chapter 3, verse number 2 says, For in many things we offend all. It's quiet. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. Do I, do I got any perfect people in the house? Would you please stand to your feet if you are a perfect person? Any perfect people in the building? I didn't think so. So what that tells me is that every single one of us have offended in word and in deed. I am in a house full of guilty people this morning. Come on, I need some humble folks. You don't feel like shouting right now, but I need some humble people who aren't afraid to throw your hands up uh, in humility uh, and say, God, uh, I've been guilty of that. God, I've been an offender before. God, I know what it's like to fall short. God, I know what it's like to hurt somebody. Come on, somebody. I know what it's like. And if it happened to Jesus, it will happen to you. Can I submit to you that the scars in Jesus' hands were not the only scars that he had to deal with? Because the Bible says that we have an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity. He knows what it feels like 
to be betrayed. He knows what it feels like to be lied about. He knows what it feels like to be disappointed by people. He knows what it feels like to experience failed leadership. Can I preach to us this morning? How did Jesus live past those scars? I'm going to tell you how you live past your scars. It is three words that are recorded in Luke 23 and 34 as he hangs between two thieves. Three words that will set you free from your past. Father, forgive them. You want to learn how to be set free? Learn how to forgive people. You want to learn how to live a life of freedom from the bondage of scars? Learn how to tell people, I forgive you. Let it go. Let the offense go. Let the hurt go. Let the I'm preaching real good. Somebody in the building needs to let it go. You need to turn loose of that person that you've been holding on to for years. You need to let go of that person you've been mad at for years. You need to turn loose. Oh, I'm preaching. Father, forgive them. It is impossible to pray that prayer without the posture of your own spirit being changed. Music, come. I'm, I'm hurrying today. It is the very thing that held him in place to fulfill his purpose when he had every right to be offended and come off of that cross to avenge himself. Because he realized the focus of Calvary was not the scars in his hands, but it was the redemption of humanity. The scars were a part of Calvary, but not the finality of Calvary. The wounds happened. The spear in his side took place. But three days later, he got up with all power in his hands. Come on, somebody. You want to know what happened? He had a revelation that there was purpose in his pain. I'm ministering to somebody right now. You want to know how to come out of that bondage? Is to get a revelation that there's purpose in the pain. How do you know? Because he, the Bible says that he was wounded for my transgression. His wound was not in vain. His wound was for my transgression. He was 
bruised. Why? For my iniquity and the chastisement of my peace was that there was purpose in his pain. And somebody in the building, God wants you to get a revelation that there's a reason you went through what you went through. There's a reason you've been through. There's a reason you've got those scars. There's a reason those things are a part of your life. And it's not to keep you in a prison of your past. But they are a testimony that God can bring you out. They are a testimony that God can bring you over. They are a testimony. you're going to be what God wants you to be you'll never escape Calvary Jesus said pick up your cross and follow me but that's not the only purpose of the cross because when he got done carrying the cross they nailed him to it and if you're going to be what God wants you to be, you'll never escape Calvary. Somewhere you're going to have to get on that tree yourself. And listen, you can't crucify yourself. It can't be suicide. So that means somebody else has to do the deed. I can't get no help in here. That means that somebody else has to put a hammer in their hand. Somebody else has to drive a nail through your hands. Somebody else is going to have to shove a crown of thorns on your head. Somebody else is going to have to take a spear and put it in your side. And you know what your responsibility is? To get a revelation that there's purpose in the pain. And I begin to realize, God, I know they're trying to hurt me, but God, they're accomplishing your will. God, I know they're trying to destroy me, but your will is being done in my life. God, I know they're trying to hurt me and assassinate my character, but God, your perfect will is being brought. Come on, somebody in the building. I came to preach to you that there's purpose in your pain, and God is ready for you to live past your Cars. The purpose of Calvary isn't the wound, it's the resurrection. I'm almost done. We'll close with this today as we stand all over this house. There was a man who was relating a story to his friend about his childhood. He began to explain that when he was just a baby, there was a period of time when the electricity was shut off in their house. And there was no hot water heater that was working. And so when this man was a baby, 
his mom was trying to take care of him. And she told her husband, she asked him to go and go to the gas stove and boil some water so that she could mix it and have some warm water to bathe, to bathe him in. And so his father filled up a, a, a great big container, put it on the stove and, and, and brought it to boiling temperature. And when it was done, he picked up the container of boiling water. And as he was focused on not spilling the water as he came into the room where mom was with the baby, he tripped over the edge of the carpet and he spilt and dumped the whole container of boiling water on the young man as a baby. He began to explain that he had severe burns massive severe burns all over his infant body his friend surprised by the story said you must have scars you must have scars that are all over your body from that happening and he began to explain to him he said when I was little the scars covered my entire body when you looked at me brother Dale I was just full of wounds and scars he said, but as I begin to grow, he said, the scars, you see, your body is designed to grow, but scars don't. And the more you grow, the smaller the scars become in comparison to the rest of who you are. And I don't know who I'm preaching to right now, but you lived long enough with scars covering you and God wants you to know that the more you grow and the bigger God makes you and the farther along you that scar is going to get smaller and smaller it's going to define you less and less in your life and God's going to give you a new identity God's going to give you a new perspective God's going to give you I wonder if there's anybody right now that would throw your hands in the air and say, God, here I am. I come to you with my wounds. I come to you with my scars. Come on, here they come. I'm opening these altars right now. Somebody in this house needs to step out of your seat and run to this altar and throw your hands in the air and say, God, I'm ready to live past my scars. God, I'm ready to live past my mistakes. I'm ready to live past the pain. Come on, all over this house. Come on, all over this house. Here they come. The altars are filling up. Church, would you be sensitive right now? Would you be sensitive to God as they come? Would you find somebody to pray with? Come on, lift your hands. It's time to live past your scars. Come on. What happened to you when you were a child can no longer have power over you when you surrender it to God. The pain you experienced as a teenager has no power over you when you let God bring you out. Come on. Come on, somebody lift your voice.
lift your voice. Lift your voice. You're going to live past your scar.
this morning. Put it in his hands. Put it in his hands. Put it in his hands. your hands all over this place. Let's give God some praise for what he's done in this house today. Come on, let's thank him for what he's done in this place today. Would you lift your voice with your hands all across this sanctuary right now? Come on, would you lift your voice with your hands all over this sanctuary right now? We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus.